0: It's important to know Dark Days of Dorothy Gale is solely a reimagining of the novel The Wonderful Wizard of Oz and not the 1939 film or any other iteration of the story. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath For Episodes 29 and 29.2 Chapter 39 of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale Idnis sa, And Chapter 20 of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz The Dainty China Country Is the phrase China Country offensive? Hmm. I suppose maybe it depends on context. If I were to get on a plane and fly to China, and I said something along the lines of, Well, eyes off to China country to see them China people. That would be racist. Also, I wouldn't say that. Maybe if we never had a world leader, who many considered to be racist that kept using the term China virus, the term China country might not have ever had any kind of negative connotation outside of, you know, human rights issues and labor practices. I'm not getting political here. I'm just pointing out that language and terminology evolves. And what might seem innocuous in 2016 or even previous to that might seem problematic in 2021 because of certain people and certain events. If I'm talking about a fictional world in which the people are made of porcelain and quote-unquote fine china, on the other hand, that might not be so problematic, right? This is something I've been struggling with for a while now. I certainly don't want to come off as racist or bigoted, but I still want to remain faithful to the L. Frank Baum source material. He, of course, never meant any harm with the chapter title The Dainty China Country. He constantly refers to things as China throughout the chapter. It's not a reference to China, the country we all know, but instead to China. China. You know, the little porcelain figures, or dishes. Also, Baum wrote this in 1900. Things were a little less PC back then. Honestly, I could go down a rabbit hole of language, and I would love to do it. But this is neither the time or place for that. So instead, I guess I'll go ahead and read to you the definition of China, as it is referred to in the context of this week's chapters. According to Dictionary.com, China is... a translucent ceramic material. Biscuit-fired at a high temperature. It's glaze-fired at a low temperature. I don't know what biscuit-fired is, but it sounds delicious. I do know what glaze-fired is... And yeah, that also sounds delicious. Dictionary.com also says China is any porcelain ware, plates, cups, saucers, etc., collectively. Figurines made of porcelain or ceramic material, collectively. A collection of China. According to expandusceramics.com, the question is is porcelain? the same as China? And their answer is, well, actually, the two terms describe the same product. The term China comes from its country of origin, and the word porcelain is Latin, meaning seashell. It implies a product which is smooth, white, and lustrous. The term porcelain is preferred in Europe, while China is favored in the United States. Also worth noting, China does not typically appear to be capitalized when talking about porcelain. In that particular context, it's just a word. So, is the term China country racist or offensive? I would be inclined to say no but I would guess it also depends on how sensitive you are. If you asked me what I wanted to eat for lunch, I might say Mexican sounds good, or I could go for some nice Italian. Uh, That's not racist, so... I don't know. I'm sticking with... China country is not racist in Baum's book, nor is it racist in mine. Good. Glad we got that out of the way. Let's get on to the show. In Chapter 39 of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale, Idnis Sa, more commonly referred to as China Country, we are treated to a wondrous new locale, full of strange citizens. These road-south chapters are kind of an anthology of horror. They don't carry much plot from one place to the next, and ultimately feel self-contained. They also take on somewhat different tones. If this were a Netflix series or something, I would imagine this chapter to have stark whites, high contrast, and crisp, sharp imagery. The audio would also be about the same, fine and eerily silent outside of the dialogue and the sounds of porcelain tapping on porcelain. In the bomb chapter, the houses are smaller and the people are bigger. In mine, however, I went the other direction. I wanted Idnis saw to be maze-like or labyrinthian. In my head, that's exactly how I see it. Upon reading, recording, and editing for the podcast, however, I feel like maybe I missed the mark just a little. I should have spent more time describing a claustrophobic atmosphere, in a sense of dread as they wandered through the twisting, turning streets of the Gothic architecture that filled China country in search of Mister. Mister doesn't really want to go over the wall at first. Walls exist for a reason, Dorothy, and sometimes those reasons are best left unknown. But he shows us that chivalry is not quite dead. At least, not yet. He climbs over and lets Dorothy use him as a pillow to land on. The lion here kind of feels like he is just tagging along. As they wander through the streets, they come across several of the city's denizens. They cause a small lady to break as she tries to flee with her cow from the outsiders. I like the idea that there is a level of coordination required for this particular figure to get around, as she is part of a set. This was a direct reference to the Milkmaid in the Baum version. We also meet the Queen. In Baum's book, she is a princess, and not quite as mean or unwelcoming. She stands in the palm of Mister's hand as she tells the travelers to leave, preferably without breaking anything. I kind of picture the classic, the Indian in the Cupboard here. The little boy holding his toy Indian in his hand, fascinated that he's come to life. They agree it's probably best to leave. Mr. of course can't manage to stay on his feet and destroys a cathedral on his way out. This portion of the chapter is my favorite. True horror, as the streets are flooded with villagers and he's torn apart to make an example of. I picture Resident Evil 4, if Leon was a giant scarecrow, and the villagers were all fine china. Hmm, so maybe I don't picture Resident Evil 4 after all. Of course, Dorothy and the lion eventually find Mister, ripped apart and his head hanging from a tree high above the city. I have a lot of favorite characters in this book, and the Queen of China Country is pretty high up on the list. She's small and fragile, but at the same time, she's fearless and incredibly intimidating. I think it's also worth noting here that Dorothy is trying her best to avoid a physical altercation, She plays nice as long as possible, before she simply doesn't have a choice anymore. I love the moment when the villagers begin to attack Dorothy. The way it almost seems comical that these tiny people could take down a full-grown woman and a giant lion. The way it shifts and becomes plausible when you realize that Dorothy and the lion are immensely outnumbered, and their attackers are relentless. It's like the question, would you rather fight one dog-sized ant or a couple of thousand ant-sized dogs? I think the moment Dorothy accidentally crushes the queen is one of the more impactful moments in the book. It's also a little bit of a turning point for her, as she now realizes the power she has over these people. She chooses to control them out of fear. In this week's wonderful Wizard of Oz chapter, The Dainty China Country, it's a much lighter affair, though its influence on what I wrote is still very clear. They peek over the wall and are all taken aback by the surreal cityscape that sits in front of them. Again, Bomb City is smaller in stature as the buildings are smaller and the people seem to be a little bit bigger. Confrontation doesn't come in the form of a queen, but instead a milkmaid who has a bit of a cow when Dorothy shows up. (laughs) Get it? Her cow freaks out, so she has a cow? Uh, I will never stop loving dad jokes and bad puns. Here's one for you. Why is Cinderella so bad at soccer? Any guesses? Huh? Huh? Because she's always running away from the ball <laughs> okay let's move on there are figures of all kinds filling bomb city here there are shepherdesses princes princesses farmers clowns and along with all of these there are also a number of animals as well including a dog that barks at them the description of the city is pleasant It's not a threatening locale, by any means, which of course makes sense in the context of Baum's wonder tale here. Dorothy meets with a young princess. This is the character that is later adapted to be the queen in my version. The princess isn't really unwelcoming to the visitors, though she does yell at Dorothy for chasing her. Her main concern isn't the fact that there's a collection of strangers wandering around, As much as it is, she's just worried she might get chipped or broken. It's more vanity than anything when you get right down to it. You're never quite as beautiful once you've been broken and mended. She points to a clown who has been repeatedly cracked. His body is indeed less beautiful, but uh, he doesn't really seem to mind. I chose to read him with a little bit of a sinister voice, insulting the princess by saying, She's as stiff as though she swallowed a poker. To me, that phrase is ominous no matter how you read it, so it wasn't entirely intentional. But I do like the way it turned out. The princess also tells Dorothy that if she were taken out of the dainty China country, she would basically become lifeless, like uh, Buzz or Woody or Slinky Dog or, well, I guess any toy in the Toy Story universe, when children are around. On their way out, the lion takes out a church with his tail. Dorothy doesn't seem all that concerned. She just says something like, That's too bad. And they all, in a roundabout way, kind of imply that the dainty China country should consider themselves lucky that the church was all they broke. Of course, that's the halfway point of my version. This would be where Mister was torn apart and carried away. But, again, as I've said many, many times, children's book. Baum was a much nicer storyteller. If I missed something or failed to address something you feel I should have, then by all means let me know. I'm always open to questions, comments, or constructive criticism. You don't have to like what I make, but you can still be nice about it. I know you can. I believe in you. It's dark Dorothy G on Twitter. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale at Outlook.com, The Ordinary Sun, that's S U N on Instagram. Also, if you're interested, there's a Facebook page that rarely gets updated, and I have officially launched the official Dark Days of Dorothy Gale website. The address is ddofdg.com. of Currently, there's some artwork, contact information, summary of what Dark Days of Dorothy Gale is, you know, stuff like that. At some point, there will be links to t-shirts and stickers and all that kind of stuff, but for now, it's pretty basic. You can, however, listen to every episode straight from the site now. No extra download, no login, no nothing. Just your listening ears. Also, it looks way better on mobile than a desktop browser. That just seems to be the way the world works these days. Again, that's dd of ddofdg.com. Come back next week for Chapter 40 of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale, The Black Marsh, and Chapter 21 of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Lion Becomes the King of Beasts. Thanks for listening. I love you all.